Welcome to the Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs. So welcome to our next discussion, our next conversation with Parusing's The Power of Values. Another great opportunity to connect and learn from an industry peer and veteran. So many things that have been seen and experienced and heard and talked about that far exceed most of the knowledge and understanding of many people in the industry. But it's so great to get a perspective on, wow, there's all these opportunities in appraisal and valuation, and most people never get an understanding of what's available to them. So hopefully in today's conversation, you get a sense of, hey, maybe there's something in it for you that's more than what you're doing now, or helps you set your sights on where you might want to go as you invest in yourself and your profession and in your future for what's next. So really excited today to be with Alan Hummel. We'll get to hear a lot about his experience, his exposure, and uh, his contribution to the industry. But welcome, Alan. Thanks for joining us today. Good day. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, Alan, were you born an appraiser, or how did how did you get into this profession? You, you know, I almost feel like I was. I grew up on at the, the dumb end of the tape measure. I followed my father around, who was an appraiser. I remember going out to houses. I remember in you know rural Iowa, so we did sure. not houses only, but we did the barns and we did the, oh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, the outbuildings, you the outbuildings, name it. The, the whole works. And so yeah, I I started. I never knew I was going to be an appraiser at that point. It's just what I you know one of the things I grew up doing, and I guess it stuck. That's phenomenal. So you were educated at the dumb end of the tape measure, which means you got to see all kinds of stuff before you even knew what you were doing. Well, that, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, number one, I did learn, you know, why dad sent me into the uh, barn first, because that if the bull was in there or if they hadn't mucked the uh, barn yet, I, I was the one that was going to find out. And I, I was a tall kid. And so when we went into some of the uh, older houses, he always sent me in the cellar first simply because I would wipe out all the spider webs for him oh to come gosh. down. So yeah, you, so you, funny. I, this was before we had trainees. And so I was the, you know, one of the original trainees. Oh, I totally get that. I totally get that. And I can really appreciate your experience for a couple of reasons. One, my dad grew up on a farm. So I spent a lot of my weekends down on the family farm. And as someone who's lived in a city and then lived in urban areas, most parts of my life, it's been a long time since I've walked into a cellar. Much less walked into a barn where you don't know what animals might be on the other side of the door. Okay. I mean, that's that's a whole different experience for someone who's in an urban environment. That, that, that's exactly it. But it does it does it's a learning experience, and that's the one thing that Dad always taught me. I, I remember Michael the just speaking of the appraisal, the appraisal business a little bit. Sure. That uh, and and I'm going to fast forward. It was you know of course uh, get through high school, get through college, and 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 get back in hometown and and uh, doing real estate appraisals with my father. And I remember one of the first weeks I, I took on the call came in and I took the order. Okay. So oh, okay. I'm going to take the order. Oh, yes. And, and it was agricultural industrial facility. And so we oh. did everything. I mean, back in the day, you know, in rural Iowa, you did residential, you did commercial, you did agricultural. Oh. Every third year, you're the fire chief. And, you know, every fifth year, you're the mayor. I mean, you do everything. <laughs> this, this, this order came in and I went ahead and took it quoted the fee and such. Dad was uh, out of town for a week. And so when he comes back, you know, you know, how's business going? What's going on? I said, I've been working on this thing. He said, I've been working on it all week long. And I'm only about halfway done. I said, it's oh, really wow. complicated. You know, he, he helped me get through it and such. And he says, okay. And he, he didn't even ask at the time, but oh. then we're getting ready to send in the appraisal report. And he says, okay. He says, well, what do you call for a fee on this? And I told him, 
And he just kind of looks at me. Oh, no. And he says, uh, oh, no. You think we made any money on this one? And I said, you know, Dad, I don't think I did, did I? <laughs> and he says, well, he says, yeah, this is what we call a learning experience. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. and, that's, and that's where I learned you know, that that's experience counts. <laughs> you know, yes. That was a learning experience. And Dad has uh, reminded me that many times that your know, experience oh, wow. is a great teacher, is a great teacher. It is sometimes an expensive teacher as well. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, that, that's a good one. That's, that, there's nothing more telling than not understanding the extent, like in that case, whether it was a grain processing facility or whether it was they were raising cattle or hogs or what have you. And you right. get out there and you're like, oh. Oh, there's a lot here. <laughs> there's a lot here. That's oh, that, right. that building is really, really big. <laughs> and, then, exactly. and then big is different to different people. Oh, it's big. You're like, how big is it? Oh, it's it's like 2,000 square feet. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, how big is it? Oh, it's like, you know, 220,000 square feet. You're like, yeah, that's big. That's, that's, that's big. really big. That's, big. that's right. That's right. So you ventured away from home. You you got you went out and you we were chatting a little earlier and you mentioned about you got to go, was it about 30 miles away where you started school I and then you went college. further away? That's right. My my first college experience was a whole 30 miles from home. And I probably <laughs> the first uh, semester was home every weekend. And then uh, then I started getting more involved in college life. And so I started staying. But, you know, that was for me, you know, 30 miles is a long way. That was the University of Northern Iowa. And then I decided to change majors. And I went to the Iowa State University, which is a whole 90 miles away. Oh, the Iowa uh, State. That, they, that's big. Yeah. Hey, that was a big step up. That was a big step up. And I'm very happy that I went there. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful university. Again, you know, we're, we're talking long enough ago yes. where people didn't, you know, kids didn't take uh, gap years you know, between high oh, no. school and no, college. No, no. Get in, get out. <laughs> it, was, it was either you went, either went to, to work or went to work or you went to college. I mean, you know, which way you heading? You know, which is different than, you know, my kids, you know, they took gap years and they take, you know, these semesters abroad. They do all these other yes. things, which I'm very happy for. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's fantastic. Oh, of course. It's a great experience for them. We learned on the fly and going to Iowa State, it was, it was interesting because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Well, mm. I wanted to be a race car driver. I wanted to be a race car driver. And that's what I wanted to be. But, you know, that, that wasn't coming around very quickly. <laughs> and so, Mike, what I did is I got a BS in distributive studies. And I, I got to tell you that the BS part is kind of literal. <laughs> the university didn't think it was. I've never be. heard of that uh, study. <laughs> I am thrilled to hear what this is all about. <laughs> is what they do is they allowed me to design my own course of study. I knew I was going to go into business and okay. they had business programs, but you know, I figured I can hire accountants. I can hire okay. uh, lawyers. I can do all that. And yeah. so what I did was I put together three majors. So I took the core majors of speech, mm -hmm. political science, and social psychology because I Wow. That's that a fascinating intersection. I'm surprised you didn't turn out to be a lawyer. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. No, but it's just, you know, because I figured business was, you know, social psychology, you have to understand the people. You have to understand what motivates people. You have to understand, yes. you know, why they do what they do. And social psychology helped me with that. Uh, speech is just the ability to communicate, to make certain that you, know, yeah. you can get your point across and understand it and make certain that, that, that you can uh, transact with people. And political science, quite honestly, isn't just about uh, the dead presidents. It's about negotiation. It's about how to position yourself to be in the room where it happens. And so through those three core majors, I think that built a good foundation for me to be a business person. I, I took an accounting class. I took you know, yeah. some, some of that stuff just so I have the basic knowledge. But it has helped me well 
not just in real estate appraisal, but just in business of being able to maneuver and understand and, and be able to work with people in, in general. So small town Iowa boy, I, I, it turned out okay. And Iowa State did me well. That's fantastic. And you created your own major. Was there any expectation for working anywhere other than uh, the family business? Short answer is no, because, and I, I, I was on the five-year plan. I mean, I did this slowly got it, got it, got it. <laughs> and I wasn't certain what I was going to do. I really didn't. I ended up graduating. I said, hey, now I got the degree, what I could do. I sold real estate in Des Moines, Iowa, the, 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 the big town for a whole six months. Interest rates were 17 and a half percent, the oh, 17 darn. and a half. So when people yeah. right now say 7%, I don't get you know, too teary-eyed. And they, they You don't even blink. You're like, wait, <laughs> are you, you must be missing a one. You know, there is a history where there was a one There's in front of your big seven. That, that's right. And oh uh, yeah, they were doing reverse amortization. I mean, you took out a loan that you took the loan out at they're charging 17%, but you're only paying on a 12% amortization. So every year your loan is actually larger. Exactly. Reverse amortization. They did that for a couple of years. So I did that for and actually fairly successful. I sold probably three houses in, in the six months, which was not bad for a rookie. Oh no, not at all. That's really yeah. good. And I, I decided that we, uh, my wife and I are in the same hometown and we said, well, let's go back to the hometown 5,000, which is not a big town rural community in Iowa. Sure. We were there for a couple of months, Michael, and uh, actually a, a year plus. And then, you know, back in the early eighties, some people remember there was a farm crisis where oh, yes. all of a sudden, you know, just huge. farm, you know, the, the, the crop prices went down and it was just horrible. And so it's I was working in the family business, which is real estate, brokerage, construction, mm-hmm. and appraisal. We were uh, sitting in the cafe one morning, and my dad and I went to the cafe every morning. That's just where everybody gathered sure. and uh, having, having breakfast. And he looked at me across the table. And he says, you know, he says, there really isn't enough work here for both of us. Oh, and, oh, and, no. and, with, and with a tear in his eye, he says, and I was here first. <laughs> this is going to be our last breakfast here, son. <laughs> and so he, he had already made some phone calls to, uh, to some folks that he knew in Des Moines. Okay. He says, listen, call us. He says, I know some folks in Des Moines. He says, they, they think maybe they can get you set up with the uh, Minnesota, or excuse me, the Iowa Department of Transportation. Oh, and really? I said, okay, great. I wow. said, yeah, I'll do that. And so I interviewed, uh, I was offered the job. And the day after they offered the job, uh, the governor announced laid off, layoffs. Oh, no. So I was not even, I didn't even get a day on the job when, when I was <laughs> laid off. <laughs> you know, basically, my offer was rescinded, basically. <laughs> And uh, luckily, the DOT said, hey, but we know this firm in Des Moines. And I got hooked up with just one of the most brilliant appraisers. That, that, that He was what I'm going to call an appraiser that was not just book smart. He oh, was street yeah. smart. And he had yeah. both. I mean, he had both. Wow. And so it was so much fun to learn from him. That really started my career because he was an MAI. He was a, a back in the day when they had side of real estate appraisers. He was an oh, SRP, yeah. which was yes. one of their highest designations. And he introduced me then to professional organizations. So I got involved in that. And once I got rolling, it, it was just a lot of fun to, to stay in the business. That is phenomenal. And I think that's a wonderful piece you touch on, which I found that interesting. An interesting challenge is how do you help people be not just book smart, but street smart? Then you mentioned, at least I, I think I heard you say that because of the family business, you were exposed not only to brokerage, but also to construction as well as appraisal. I mean, getting that yeah. broad scope of understanding, similar, it sounds like, to your education in, in the university where you kind of got to design your major. You got exposed to a lot of things that helps you then go forward. 
That, that's exactly right. And I don't like that. It's probably apt. I just don't like it. Say a, a jack of all trades, an expert of none. Yeah, I like to think that I do have a certain knowledge <laughs> you know, that, that I can say I'm an expert in. My construction background, you would not want to hire me to build your house. Okay. But I know the components of how to build a house. (laughs) I I know, I know it should be done. It's just, I can't do it. And so you're right. It's just the the knowledge, what it takes to build a clock. Even if I can't build a clock, I know what's supposed to be done in order to do it correctly. And and I think that's a, a good way to make it through. No, that makes a, it makes a world of difference. Um, and I'm sure you've seen it over and over again in your long career, which is those people that have some of that broader knowledge and like, Hey, like, I don't necessarily know what's right, but something seems wrong. Like they have that, we might call it a spidey sense or a sixth sense, or it's like, Oh, they're just really wise. Part of it's just exposure. It's like, Hey, I've walked into a cellar. You know, when you walk into a cellar, certain things probably are going to be the case. I hear you talking about cellar, but that doesn't, that doesn't seem like cellar to me. (laughs) That's right. That's right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I like the way you said that is because I don't always know what the right answer is. But a lot of times I can say, that's not the right answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not the right answer. Now, now we can build off of that and say, okay, but what is the right answer? Oh, but that is such a, such a great point. So here you get this wonderful opportunity to start with a, a very credible individual who has a, a lot of experience and exposure. And then how did that develop for you? My recollection is your career has primarily been residential, but it sounds like this individual, especially if they were referred by the DOT, was probably doing both residential and commercial work. Exactly. Iowa. Appraisal and Research was the name of the company in Des Moines, okay. Iowa. Bud Potts was my mentor, mm-hmm. uh, owner of the company boss. And uh, I, I worked for him for about three years. And he, just as you indicated, uh, the greatest majority of their business was commercial. He wanted to have a residential division because when they did eminent domain, you know, he wanted somebody that understood residential and you know, yes. a lot of litigation. He wanted someone to understand it. So he had the residential division. And he was an older gentleman. After about three years, you know, he decided that he wanted to just concentrate on commercial. And so we struck a deal that I did not realize how favorable it was until many years later, the deal he Mm. gave me to buy the residential division. Basically, I didn't know at the time. I thought I was buying it. It was a gift. (laughs) 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 I I paid for it, but but it was, you know, it was a gift. Believe me. I had the residential division continue to grow that. At one point, you know, we were lucky enough that we had the largest residential firm in, in Iowa. Uh, oh, that's and, impressive. Congratulations. Yeah, it, really was. it was uh you know back in the day. Now you gotta remember this is back in the mid-80s, yes, uh, you know, early, early to uh mid-late 80s. And so we had uh 27 residential appraisers running around the central Iowa doing appraisals, and that was a big firm back then. That's big. And so that allowed me when we got that large to start doing residential mortgage was our foundation. And I think residential mortgage is a fantastic foundation. But it does allow you, you know, to expand because if you have that's that foundation, true. now you can yeah. kind of reach out and say, you know, somebody has a problem. Well, there's a buyback. Well, we can do reviews. There's a, then somebody finds out, well, they bought a property or a contract had a problem and it's only mm-hmm. half built. What's the value of a half built property? Okay. So yes. you start getting the more complex ones. And, and then uh, we do a little bit of eminent domain and, and that leads us to structural uh, defect properties and divorce cases and such. Building that foundation so you can have bread and butter every day. <laughs> and then allows yeah. you to start doing stuff. What I'm going to say, you enjoy. So that, that's what we started doing is growing the business, you know, networking, you know, talking to other appraisers. And I mentioned that you know, my boss was, Bud Potts was, he was an officer in 
again, back in the day, it was the American Institute of Real Estate Appraisers and Society of Real Estate Appraisers. They hadn't combined yet while he was still in the organizations. But the Appraisal Institute then was formed. That's when I started getting involved uh, with his introductions, I should say, being able to be involved in the Appraisal Institute. And that's back in the day, Michael, and I think it's true today too, but even more so back then is being part of a large organization like that allowed yeah. you that's that's where you got introduced to other people mm. to other environments we we didn't have linkedin we didn't have no. you know you know the, the social media you had a thing called a rolodex it that's actually exact, rolled exactly it, it, it you spun it it went around you yes. went around yes. oh here b okay pull up b oh there's <laughs> that, that's did it by first name versus last name then bp yeah, but yes and, and that that's the way that you grew in your profession was by you know attending meetings and attending conferences and, and getting to know yeah. these types of people and that's the way you had to do it was you know travel to those destinations and Mm -hmm. and, and join those committees and and i still believe truly if and i love social media i'm not a luddite when i do my teaching it's absolutely amazing i do a lot of online teaching live webinars and such yeah this last year once covid is over i'm doing a lot of actual live classroom teaching also and the live classroom teaching the way the students interact with one another is unbelievable i mean on live webinars the students will answer the questions I ask. Yes. But there's no communication between the students. I no. have to be the one. You know, that they get to, and yes. in the live classroom, we take 10-minute breaks. We have lunch breaks. We have all this. And the students are constantly – it's tough to get them. Sometimes I, I start class late. Don't Trying to get them back in the room. You're like, you're like hey, come on back. We're, don't we're back. Hey, don't, tell, don't tell the regulators. I let them go an extra five minutes because it's so important. I mean, that's where you get so much education. Is that is so true. Room, it, it's from talking to, to your peers. It's, that, that's a fun part of it. That makes a world of difference. And similar to you, I, I had a, uh, that experience of, you know, taking classes in person and have, you know, traveling and then just meeting people and be like, what do you do? And he's like, well, uh, I remember the first time I met a guy, he was a lumber appraiser. I'm like, Wow. I think I understand what that is because again, my family's from farming and when they would, they would clear land so they could start uh, ultimately putting crops in there and stuff. And I'd hear about how much of a, how much of a challenge it was. He's like, yeah, that was my job. I like, I go around the Southeast, I think he said of the U S and I appraise acreage of timber. And I'm yeah, like, so he does a timber cruise. And I remember the first time I heard that term, timber cruise. Exactly. exactly. Like, oh, I was like, like what? A, you go on a wooden boat. What do you do? <laughs> and, and that's it. You go out, you, you count the trees, you, you, you look at the quality of the trees, yeah. you, you do all of that. Absolutely. And those are just those fascinating experiences of hearing people sharing different types of valuation they were doing. And yeah, I mean, it, it sits to some degree in and around real estate. And by the same token, I remember, and I, I, her name slips me right at the moment. But she sounds a lot like you having joined that uh, uh, Bud Potts, where she was working for this very well-established, very well-known nationally appraiser of agricultural processing facilities. And I'm like, do you need to be here in classes to do that? She goes, well, it would help me if I get my MAI designation. He's got his, you know, it's just part of the thing. I'm like, but do you need that? She's like... Well, you know, real estate really isn't a big portion of it. it it's really machinery and equipment and right. all the processing and the business activity. I'm like, but it's fascinating. I would have never even thought about that or even been exposed to it without sitting in class next to someone like that. Exactly. That, that's exactly it. And the, I've gotten business by sitting in class, uh, not because the client was in class, but I'll be talking to an appraiser. That, oh, you wouldn't believe this assignment. Yeah, they called me up and it's got a structural defect and I've never done anything. I, oh, really? I said, listen, I'd love to work with you I on that. I could help out. <laughs> I could help out on that. He's like, oh, you can have it. I don't want to do it. Great, I'll do it. And, and so, yeah, just those, those bathroom experiences of meeting people. I still have people 
Yeah, and in my Rolodex, I know we don't have Rolodexes anymore, but if you know, but in my Rolodex of people that I met in classes, and I can call if I'm doing a, a complex property, I've got people all over the United States that I can call up and just say, hey, listen, this is what I'm working on. What do you think? And that is just such a fun way to be able to do business. And sometimes exactly. you don't want to, con- we're, we're, you know, <laughs> the real estate appraisal is a very small industry, really. And so a lot of times, if you're in your community, you don't necessarily want to call up a friend, but they're also a competitor and say, I'm working yeah. on this job that I don't know how to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Alan, I'm appraising the house next door to you. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably not tell you that. I mean, I'd I'd love to share somebody, but I'm not sure I'm going to let you in on that secret. Exactly. And so being able to call to, you know, it's three three counties away or three states away to a, a person that you know would probably be able to understand the situation and be able to help you kind of think this through. It's a wonderful thing to have on your, you know, call a friend device. Absolutely. Yeah, that phone, a friend, a phone, a peer, however it might yes. be, actually use the phone. That's a whole new concept, like, whole especially new concept. for some people these days. <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, I'm jumping around a bit, but you mentioned because you've been an instructor for a long period of time, you do obviously online, which is a bigger, much bigger piece of education these yeah. days versus in person. What do you observe about the the interest level of people taking classes? Are they really just focused on taking the class or is there still a genuine interest in connecting with peers and like maybe broadening their understanding? Yeah. And I think it depends. I know that in December, when licensing is coming up in some states, I know why the students are there. It's for the hours. Okay. The topic isn't what drew them. It was the number of hours they get before the license expires is what drew them. doesn't mean that they're bad students or not going to learn, but they're there for a different motivation reason. I've been teaching a lot of classes on bifurcated appraisals, on drive-by hybrid appraisals and such in the residential market, which is really interesting because the fact that you know, these types of appraisals, I was doing them in the 1980s. I it's totally agree. I mean, this is not new. Like, oh, it's new. I'm like, no, these are bell bottoms. They've come yes. back. They were here once before. That's right. And, and so they're not a new concept, but it's new to a certain generation of appraisers, and especially in the residential mortgage business, having that conversation. And, you know, to your question of why are they there, some of them were there because they needed the hours. Some are there because I don't know if I want to do this. I actually had, I was teaching this particular one in Florida where a guy from Arizona shows up. I said, what, what are you doing? And he says, well, I just came in for this class. And I thought, okay, no pressure here. But why, he says, I have read so much about these, but I'm getting so much different information because he's looking at blogs. And you know, blogs are not bad, but many times they're not filtered. They're not fact-checked. Read them, but he was getting so much different information that he said, I just want to know what's true. And so by sitting in class, and what's fun when you sit in class, is as the instructor, yes, I have some level of, I'm, I'm supposed to know what's going on, okay? I, it's a, but when you're sitting in a class where everybody is free to speak up, you can't fake these students. These are knowledgeable people. These people have been in the field. Oh, these yeah. people that have, yep. have you know, either been offered to do uh, these types of appraisals or done them. Mm-hmm. You're fact-checked on the spot <laughs> through these that types of true. classes. <laughs> you know, when, when, if I would say something, someone would say, well, that's not, that's not the experience I had. Okay, well, let's talk about the experience you had. And let's, let's find out, was that common? Was it, you know, what was it? And what I always told folks, just as we talk about bifurcated hybrid appraisals, because that is what residential mortgage appraisers really have to look at today, and that's, it's not coming, it's here, is I tell them, I said, listen, I'm not here to tell you whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. I, I really don't care what you do. I yeah, want you to sense. do is to be able to make a knowledgeable business professional decision if you want to do these. And if you're going to yeah. do them, 
know how, know what the expectations are, and understand scope of work, understand clients, understand all clients aren't the same. Yes. Understand that all desktop appraisals aren't the same. Some for mortgage purposes are going to be different than you know for estate purposes. And so we go through that process. And I think that's where I see the light go on with so many students. And I'm talking about, they'll come up to me after class, Michael. And some of these folks are, let's just say, in the later stages of their career. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. They, they've been doing this for a long time. They might, as I say, they might have been around the block a few times. They, they might have been around the block. I say this not to say my teaching skills are so great, but because I really believe this is what education should be, they walk up and say, you know what? I learned something today. And they said, and, thank and it's just, goodness. That's why you're there. That's exactly. And, Amen. and some, of them, some of them learn that they don't want to do these types of appraisals. Yeah, and some of them good. learn that, hey, I can do these. I mean, now that I understand what to do and how to do it and what, what my liability might be, I've learned something today. And I've always said, if I if I can you know, teach a class, somebody learns something, that's success. <laughs> I, I mean, I they don't have to learn seven hours worth of material. Oh, yeah. But if they walk away with something they didn't know before that makes them think, makes them do something differently, that's success. Okay, that's you know, that, that, that's the fun part of it. I couldn't agree with you more. So having I do just a little bit of instructing around the Institute, I do an awful lot of uh, education around other communities, entrepreneurship and business owners yeah. and what have you. And I tell people all the time, I said, look, however long the time is, whether it's a two hour thing or it's half day or it's full day, I said, the goal is that you come away with two or three valuable things that you, yeah. if you choose, can take action on that will change tomorrow because of what you learned today. I'm like, hey, look, you're going to be overwhelmed. <laughs> Hopefully you remember some of it. You know, if you leave here and there's no learning, then somebody failed. Maybe it right. was mine from an instruction standpoint. Maybe it was the quality of the education. Maybe it was you, your attention, or your interest in being here. But I, that's yeah. so true, Alan. Yeah, we don't. We have seven-hour classes because that's what the and three-hour and four-hour classes. I realize, but we we have these classes. You know, because the state says we have to do it. Yes, <laughs> and and yes. the uh, that's and you asked about some of the interest, some of the students and such, uh, and that's where I do get excited because. We are, as appraisers, we're allowed to take more than 30 hours. Oh my, are, are you kidding me? Are you <laughs> sure? I, 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 I don't, are you, I'm pretty I, certain that there's no I don't know. I don't <laughs> know about that. <laughs> and, and that's when it gets exciting is when you do have you know, the folks that want to, because they want to learn something new. And mm -hmm. we started at the beginning of our conversation about what people can do. And I think that's the exciting part about the appraisal profession is that you really did the, you know, the old, uh, I don't know how old the world is your oyster. I'm not even certain what yeah. that means, but it, it really, for me, as we talked about, I've done agricultural, industrial. I love residential. That's where I'm comfortable. It's probably because I have a very short attention span. I used to do the commercial stuff and I knew the answer, but I still had to write this whole big report. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I already knew oh, the answer. So what am I doing all this for? And so residential <laughs> allows me to just kind of, okay, I got the answer. It didn't take me long to write a report type thing. But, but it's not just mortgage appraisal and it's not just even appraisal. I mean, a, a lot of people use their appraisal skills or knowledge, their education to do things outside of performing appraisals, you know, consultation work, becoming a builder, becoming a developer, becoming the owner of real estate. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do in conjunction with your experience as an appraiser. Forget the appraisal and go use knowledge to do all this or just an adjunct to when things slow down, hey, I still have options. I can do these other things, be it mortgage appraisal. Maybe I'll get into litigation. Maybe I'll get into something else and stay in the appraisal, or maybe I'll just use those skills to make some money doing something else. I think, Alan, uh, one, my personal belief and why this podcast was started in the first place is because of what you just said. And that is, there is a valuable skill set that my experience 
is, and sound obviously yours is as well, that you learn a process for analyzing and ultimately uh, coming to a conclusion. So there's a process, you perform a series of steps, you analyze information and data, first person, uh, you know, direct information, secondary information, other people's information, and you ultimately have an opportunity to work through that and then reconcile it and then come to a conclusion. That is an extremely valuable process. And whether you directly do it on appraising residential homes, or as you said, Alan, there's like so many different types of valuation just within real estate you can do, or you go outside of that and maybe you get into a different type of valuation. Maybe it's machinery and equipment, or maybe it is intellectual property, or heck, maybe you go into mergers and acquisition work. Like there's right. so much value with this skill set. And I, I'm so glad to hear that had a sense it was the case, but it's always great to hear it actually that that's your experience as well. It's, it's such yeah. a valued skill set. I kind of look at when people ask, yeah, I, I used to, uh, people say, what do you do? And my kids still don't know what I do when I say real estate appraiser. They, they don't. They, they just say, Dad's gone live. Dad holds a tape measure. What am I supposed he to tell you? He holds a tape measure. We think he's with the CIA because he's always traveling, coming back. We, we don't have any idea what he does. I started calling. I started saying I'm a real estate analyst because at some point, in yeah, my perception, not the world's, is you know I thought real estate appraiser, it didn't sound professional enough to me. A real estate appraiser, in my mind, it, it, I'm not saying that- I think that's else. the case for in a lot mind. of people's minds, unfortunately, because it's kind yeah. of been pigeonholed it, 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 into yeah. a kind of a low level value. Right. Not that that's the case at all. Not, not that that's the case, but that to me was maybe a perception. And so I started calling myself a real estate analyst. And I tell you what, it is a different to say that you're an analyst, that you are a person that is going to study something and help you know come to a conclusion. We're we've all been, you know, you've been in court, I've been in court, where you know, some attorney will say, well, is appraisal an art or a science? And uh, I've I've always said, you know what, appraisal is the art of scientifically approaching the problem. <laughs> you know, we have an opinion, but there's a lot of science. I mean, we deal with facts, we deal with we've got to have supportable evidence yes, yes. As, as we do this. And so it's not a guessing by golly. And to your earlier point, Michael, it, it's it's something, a skill that once we develop, we can use it outside of doing a real estate appraisal. I mean, those, those are skills that you can carry forward to, to other professions. I have to say, Alan, one of the joys of getting to connect with people that have a little bit different experience uh, is that you hear some terminology that you just don't get to do very often. And that is, it's not a, a guess and by golly approach. You're like, holy <laughs> cow, that's that's special, Alan. That is- <laughs> that's special. <laughs> Yeah, wow. that, 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 really, that really wows me in New York and Washington, D.C. when I talk yeah, there. It I, does. I, it does. Like, you know, when you're, when you're in Back Bay in Boston, you're like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm totally going to guess by golly this one. <clears throat> yeah, right there so, with the Mayflower. So, what am I going to do? Okay. <laughs> one of my appraisers in Des Moines, Iowa, he was actually born and raised in Alaska. Came down to the, to the, the lower 48. And, uh, came down to the lower 48. He's working with me and just the nicest guy in the world. He, he's a smart guy, but he was a backcountry guy. I remember reading one of his first appraisals. And if you're down in the neighborhood description on a, on a URIR form back in the day, he had written, the property is only a stone's throw away from whatever it was. 
Oh my he gosh. had written that in the appraisal. And I'm Which <laughs> actually, he totally understands what that means compared to most people. Knew, like, I'm not really exactly sure how far's a stone throw. You know, like, <laughs> how far's a stone throw? Who's doing the stone? <laughs> and and you know, you know, so my, my guess by golly is nothing compared to his stone throw. <laughs> oh, that's I don't think fantastic. I've ever said guess by golly in an appraisal. <laughs> I haven't, but then again, I haven't seen near as many as you have. So it is possible. <laughs> and I'm sure it exists somewhere out there in, in the nomenclature and in, in the Panels of of the industry, but well, I thought one thing it might also be interesting is because you you started out the way you did and then you grew. Some people uh, that listen to this podcast are are coming from the perspective of wow, I just want to know a little bit more about like hey how you know how did Alan accomplish so much and you've shared a good bit of that. Some people are coming to it from the perspective of oh, is there actually something more to do than just mortgage work for a bank, be that small commercial or, or residential? And other people are coming to it and say, hey, maybe the profession is something I'd be interested in because I get to solve problems and I get to handle interesting assignments if I so choose to, maybe even travel. How is it that you intentionally grew your business? Because a lot of people, based on statistics I've received from one of the large uh, software providers, uh, a lot of firms consist of like 1.6 people. So yes. growth is either not something they're interested in or not something they're capable of. Be interested in anything you might want to share about your own experience, having grown the firm uh, to the size that you did. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's a decision. I've got a lot of friends that are, are appraisers that are very comfortable working in their 1.6 person office yeah, <laughs> you know, right. and, and they, exactly. they don't want to do anything else. They're doing it. They, do, they don't have a lot of responsibilities except their own. And that's the environment they like, and that's fantastic. They're making a good living. They're enjoying life. Do it. I am a real estate appraiser, but that doesn't define me. I consider myself a business person first. My business is to sell services, so I'm a service provider second. And thirdly, doesn't make it any least, is that the services I have to sell are appraisals. <laughs> okay, so to me, I approach it differently because I was a business person that was in the service business, and appraisals happen to be the, you know, the product that I was selling. I looked at that and I, I did want to grow. I mean, I had when I had the largest firm in Iowa, again, by today's standards, that's not really very big, but I was well, teaching actually 1.6 today. It's still pretty big. That's, well, that's, that's, that's true. There, that's, that's true. That's true. But I was teaching a class in Minneapolis. I was in the process of looking at, okay, I've got my Des Moines office that covered central Iowa. Maybe I'll do the quad cities, go to Omaha and Kansas City and start opening up offices. And I met a, a gentleman while I was teaching. I was just sitting down at lunch, at John Forsythe okay. here in Minneapolis. I got talking to him and, and he, he's, you know, he says, well, what are you doing, Alan? And I, I told him, I told him what my business plans were. And he said, oh, he said, well, that's interesting. He says, we just opened up an office in Chicago. We have one in Minneapolis. And he, oh. he, already, he already had four or five offices. Oh, wow. Okay. And so we got talking and it was one of those deals where I could either compete against him <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I was lucky enough that through that conversation, I, I was I was asked to join them, and so we joined oh, forces. And that's so I, it is a good jump start because I went from one office one day, and the next day I was part of a six office. Okay, and, and so wow. that that was a big you know big jump in in a, yes. in a couple of months period. The other thing that we had was number one, a family owned business, the Forsyth appraisals, the uh, John and Tim Forsyth, their grandpa and uncle and dad. So they went back to grandpa. So it's three generations, oh, wow. well-known, well-respected. And then on top of that, and this is, I, I think this is important because they brought in a equity investor that was a business. That's what wow. they did. They, that they, is not a typical they, thing I hear. It's not. And what's interesting is Hillcrest 
venture capital came in. They were a local Minneapolis uh, father son. That's all it was. Yep. And they they invest in small businesses and help them grow. Mm-hmm. And so Tim Forsyth already had the reputation. I had some connections myself, and we were able to grow you know Forsyth appraisals you know from my one office you know their five offices. Uh, we grew it so we had I think we were in uh, by the time we got done. So I joined them in two thousand five. By two thousand seventeen, we had I know we had forty nine offices, but I think that forty nine wow. offices was in like. 37 states. We had over 500 and some W-2 staff appraisers. You know, we ran it as a business. So I forget what the exact question was, but you know, why does someone go one way yeah. versus the other? It was back in the day where the appraisal firms, and we we went through where appraisal firms and then AMCs came in, became more popular, and mm-hmm. they were, quote, competition to an yeah. appraisal firm. But we learned, you know, how to manage that relationship. And actually they they helped us grow. I mean, we we made partnerships with them and said, okay, you're part of the industry AMCs. I, I can't get rid of you. <laughs> okay, you're a competitor. But there's a term that I learned somewhere along the way called coopetition. Listen, you're in business, I'm in business. Where can we meet that we both can make some money out of this business deal? <laughs> and it didn't work all the time. It's, there's there's some AMCs we could work with, some we couldn't. Some we were competitors to a client. We'd both try to get the same client and one of us would sure. win. And other times yeah. we go in together and say, okay, I've got this, I've got this. And the combination, one of the old adage is one plus one equals three. So oh, yeah. being able to do that. But Michael, it's it's not for everybody. I mean, because at that point you are running a business. I was still, the lucky part for me was I had a lot of responsibilities within the company. But one of the responsibilities was to make certain that the appraisals were being done properly. And when things didn't go as expected, I got involved, complex assignment. So I still had my fingers in doing, I did not sign an appraisal for a long time, okay? But I contend that I was doing 500 appraisals a day because all of the folks out there oh, doing yeah. appraisals yeah. would reach out, not, not reach out directly to me, but you know, through our network of supervisors and such, we would make certain they're being done. So I had the opportunity to stay in the appraisal business, in the field of appraisal, but not necessarily doing, you know, pulling the tape every day. So I, I really think a long answer to a very simple question is, it depends what you want in life. I'll, I'll go one step further. This, this whole idea of bifurcated appraisals, hybrid appraisals, yeah. desktop appraisals type mm-hmm. thing. I've got a lot of appraisers now that after, you know, they, they've been in business for 15 years and better, yes. longer for some of them, that are saying, you know what? I think I want to do the property data collection. I want to be the person that does because that's what drew them to the appraisal business. There's so many of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why do you get the appraisal? I love looking at houses. It's so much fun yeah. to see. All I get to go properties. places. I get to get. Yeah. I get to get out of my house. You know, love exactly. my family and all, but I need to leave them for a little while. <laughs> get away somewhere, that, maybe that, far. And, and and there are some appraisers that are just so tired of. I've seen the property, and now I get deadlines and people. You know, I, I pick the three comps, and they want different comps, and they don't like my appraisal. Blah, blah, blah. And they don't like that. It just it just isn't fun for them anymore. And they say, yeah, if all I had to do was look at properties. Well, you know what? That is an opportunity now. There That's are people true. that can go out and just do the property data collection, and they're good at it. They know how to measure to ANSI standards. They know how to identify property characteristics and depreciation and functional obsolescence. And that's what we need from the property data collector. Someone is saying, hey, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. That's still an option. Good and then point. we have the other side of it, which is 
they're appraisers that don't like, you know, they're, they're getting to either an age that says, I don't want to go out in this cold Minnesota weather and walk around taping houses, but I'll sit at my desk. No, yeah, <laughs> if yeah, I've got yeah. good information, I can do an appraisal. I really like where it's going in our profession that there's a lot of opportunity for what you want to do. And if you say, no, I like doing both the inspection and the analysis, but I don't like mortgage work, then look at non-mortgage work. There are clients out there, and I, I got to be careful how I say this. Mortgage clients do want to know the answer. Don't get me oh, wrong. They absolutely do. They need to know the answer. There's a there's process. A, there's a whole industry around exactly. the business of mortgages, the servicing, right. and making your money on the yield spread. There's a whole that, there's yeah. a whole bunch of stuff there. When you start doing litigation, uh, working with, and it, it can be anything from eminent domain to dissolution of marriage or structural defects, it's a different animal of using the same skills, but you have a client that, yes, they want an answer. I don't get me wrong, but they really want to know the answer. <laughs> you know, yes. and, and, and so it's really neat to have a client that, I'm going to say, respects your opinion. And again, I'm not, I promise, I'm not degrading. More no, Alan, I, I'm, I, I'm just saying I, that it's a different, as you said, it's a different Yes. A different atmosphere. It's the difference, you know, to use a reference that I'm sure you grew up with, and that is you're not going to a meat counter and you're just you're just another pulling along a little ticker and like, oh, okay, I'm up next. Oh, bing, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Right. It's like you're the only one there. That's exactly it. And, and it's the opportunity to do some of that stuff. And you know, when I when I teach our litigation classes, it's intro to litigation to so people that want to you know get into this. You don't jump into your first case being the multi-million dollar structural defect on the, in the industrial facility. Sure. Uh, you, know, you start with a, uh, what I'm going to call a simple disillusion of value, uh, disillusion of marriage case, because it's really just yes. appraising real estate. That's what you do anyway. Okay? Yes. You're just not doing it on the Fannie Mae form and you're doing this. And you learn how to work with attorneys. You may be deposed. You learn a little bit about deposition. You learn how that system works. And then and then the next one, you know, you might a little bit tougher, a little bit more complex. Then you might get involved in some in a domain because there's other rules involved there. Then you start, and it's just allows you to get to a point and say, you know what, this isn't comfortable anymore. I don't like this. I'm going to go back to just the disillusions marriage. <laughs> or you say, boy, this is oh, fun. Yeah. And then yep. you just you know, push forward. In a different set of experiences, it still sits kind of like a buffet. And that is, hey, I get to go try a few things. Like, oh, I, I like, I'm going to go back and have a few more. Or glad I tried it. No, thank you. Not going to take any more of whatever that vegetable no, or that, that little fruit was. <laughs> or that fancy green stuff. Like, Ooh, not touching that one. So I really continue to believe in, you know, people ask every once in a while, you know, is there any, is this a profession I should get into? Is, is this something that's going to quote, go away? I'm of the belief. And I, I what's the, uh, oh, there's a word for it, Pollyanna. Okay. Someone that just, yeah, yeah. You know, everything's going to be, I'm not Pollyannish. I really do you know, think about this. I believe that is, when is it ever going to be where someone does not want to know or need to know the value of a property? Yeah. You have to, there's always going to be a V in LTV, loan value. There's always yeah. going to be a need to know the value in an estate purposes and a litigation place. There's always going to be a need to know the value. So the only question is, is it going to be done through some automated means or from an individual? Automation is going to replace some of the functions that appraisers have done in the past. It's absolutely going to happen. AVMs are getting better all the time. Yeah, uh, with data. I mean, it's, with data. Yeah. With, but I truly believe that we may not need 80,000 licensed certified appraisers. Maybe we only need 40,000. Okay, great. You want to be one of those 40,000, then there's there's really you know, one or two things that have to occur. You've got to be ethical, you've got to be competent, 
And you got to yes. be willing to step up to the service standards. If you're ethical and you're competent and you're yep. willing to put in the, the service that, that's required, you're going to be fine. You're, there's going to be appraisers. There's going to be appraisers. Well, and I think the wonderful thing you touch on and you you have a lot of exposure to, which is the, you know, being from Kentucky, horse racing is a big thing in Kentucky. Yep. And so is the bourbon trail, but we're going to focus on horses. <laughs> a number of horses that are very successful, they literally put a physical impediment on the horse. So the horse runs where the jockey tells it to run as fast as the jockey wants the horse to run. It's called blinders. And okay. I, I have experienced that over time in this industry, not for many people, but for some cadre, if you will, that are, they're just, they can only see one part of this. And I, I think it comes back to what you said, whether it's how this industry is evolving or how much more opportunity there is so far beyond just a simple real estate appraisal. It's like you have a body of knowledge. I always find it extremely fascinating. Maybe it's because it's so few people that I meet this way, but who started in appraisal, maybe they stayed in it or maybe they didn't, but they used that to go on to be very successful oh. investors and developers. Yes. Like this is the best. There's a peer of mine through the entrepreneur organization down in Houston, Texas, who has a, who's been very successful the last 20 plus years. And he credits all of his success in terms of land development and subdivisions and everything that he does creating you know, putting infrastructure in place all to his training as a commercial appraiser. He goes, Michael, I would never be able to do what I did today if I hadn't learned all that. And I remember another gentleman who also happened to be from Texas. And I remember meeting him. He's like, oh, he goes, I have a, I have a successful appraisal business. He says, I have a really successful investment and brokerage business because we're even better doing this because of all of our training and education right. in real estate valuation. Yes. We talked earlier about, you know, the type of training in the foundational education that we have to become appraisers. My son, none of my kids are appraisers. I've got four kids, none of them are appraisers. I've got three in That's education. That's pretty common. That's pretty yeah, common. Yeah, I know actually. it. I know it. Three, three in education and one attorney. And my, my son, that's an attorney, actually took appraisal courses. He was <laughs> like, bored? Well, well, no. His spring trip or his spring break trip was yes. going with me to go teach an appraisal course. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and, and so, but he, he did take the, the old classic uh, principles procedures. And yes. so he had that, and then he had a sprinkling of some other ones. The reason I bring that up is because he's an attorney, and he still talks about the fact that learning how to investigate, learning how to separate fact from fiction, yes. uh, primary, secondary sources, how to think through a problem, you know, identify the problem, da, 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 the way that we do, he still uses those skills. He's a very successful attorney in both, you know, understanding, you know, the, the problem that he's trying to solve in depositions, in the way that he approaches depositions and the way that he lines up the questions to, to get the information that he really needs. And he said so much of that came from just the foundational courses of, of, of appraisal, because that's what you do. You problem solve. And there's a certain system that you use to solve the problem and be able to say, well, yes, this is a supportable answer. You know, I got rid of all the chaff and asked the right questions to get to the right answer. When you talk about it, it's information you know, that people use to go on in real estate. Absolutely agree. But I think I'm not saying everybody you know, should take real estate appraisal as part of their university uh, curriculum, but there's a lot there. There really is a lot there that, that can be used outside of doing real estate appraisals. It's a great point. And I mean, as you alluded to, with so much uh, over the last uh, couple of decades, investment that's gone into data, data aggregation, data analysis, you know, people that start out in maybe a more traditional, like, hey, I'm going to go take some appraisal courses. What they quickly see is 
their value may be significantly greater, not as an employer or as an owner per se, but actually going to work for a firm that helps uh, understand like what is that data and what can we learn from it or what can we forecast from it? I mean, there's so much opportunity, so much wider than just the the narrow focus that a lot of people start with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it's interesting that sometimes I've been married for, don't ask me how many years, but I think it's 42. Tell her that you didn't get it right, but it's <laughs> so a lot. And congratulations for making it that <laughs> That's think, really impressive. And, and as I said, I've been appraiser you know, most, 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 all that time that we've been married. And the reason I bring that up is because the one thing, I don't want to say it frustrates Karen, but the one thing that she reminds me constantly of is everything, once in a while she'll say, well, you're thinking like an appraiser. Meaning that what a I'm compliment! She well, that, yes, yes, it is a compliment. Love that. <laughs> because what she's saying is, I'm not letting this. You know, I'm, I'm not letting just because somebody said something doesn't make it true. I said, no. Tell me what the facts are. Where did they get that information? Yes. Uh, is that did they did they get it off of Facebook or is this something that they you know is it first, is it first or second theory? Is it and and so I said, well, but yeah, but there's only one person. Three people say this. Let's look at probable versus you know, and you know. So when we have discussions, she'll just look at me and say, you're being an appraiser again. <laughs> you're thinking about this logically is what she's telling me. Oh my goodness. Well, thank goodness she knew what she was getting into since she That's got you right at the beginning. You know, so it wasn't too much of a surprise. You're like, you're just, you're just gotten a lot better at it over, you know, four decades of that. Speaking of four decades, it would be helpful because obviously there are some people, I know it's hard to imagine, but there thankfully are some people in this profession who have not lived through what you started out in, which was being a broker, helping some people buy properties at a high, high teens interest yeah. rate. What is that like? Uh, what was it like? And then how do you equate to today? Are we headed in that direction, do you think, or not? Or I'd love to hear some takes on that because this is one yeah. of the, one of the things I love to share with people is I'm like, go find, you know, and I try to do it and I, I'm playful with it, but I'm like, I'm, I'm going to describe not Frosty the Snowman, but I'm going to describe a, like an image and you think in your mind who that might be and then go find them. I said, yeah. why don't, what about the possibility of finding someone who might, from your perspective, be a grandparent and um, maybe you have more hair than they do. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know for sure. Maybe they've got a little more girth than you do. And they probably have decades of experience where you have just a little bit of life. They've got decades of experience in a particular industry. And if it happens to be around valuation and appraisal, it would be great for you to just go shadow them and just ask them questions every once in a while and be like, what was it like back in the stone ages? Because from your perspective, they used tablets and chisels. They didn't have tablets and little, you know, eye pencils or I, whatever that little device I have for my exactly, exactly. Yeah. So from that perspective, I get so valuable to, for you to be able to share this because a lot of people have nothing to go to, go to when they hear about like, oh, there was a one in front of a seven for an interest rate. That, that's right. And it, it and again, my perspective is, you know, I, I was young. Uh, yeah. And so yeah, I thought I knew a lot. And now looking back, I didn't know a whole lot. But I'll tell you one of the things that I think has not changed, and I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing, it just hasn't changed, is I believe different than what my father did. Back, back when, because when dad bought properties, you had to have 50% down. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, and then the amortization, you, know, you might get a, a five or seven year loan. That, that was yeah. what loan term. You really had to make sure those things were going to perform. Exactly. And what I saw happening in 17% is the same thing that I saw happening at two and a half and 3%. People buy homes on payment. 
I mean, it's, it's that simple. How much can you afford? Wasn't I can afford a hundred thousand dollar house back in the day. It was, I can afford this much a month in payment. And when interest rates were seven and a half percent, that meant that the lower priced homes were the ones who were going to go first <laughs> because those were, that's what most people could afford. When things got to two and a half percent, guess what? Expensive properties were going more because people could afford them. Not that, you know, so it's not, I hate to say that people buy them like they buy cars, but it really is. They're buying on payment, yep. not on the intrinsic value of, of the property. I, and I say yeah, that, I that most people. If they don't have 100% of the funds to buy the property, then they're relying on someone else who's providing financing. And that person who's providing financing is going to ask for some information. As part of that information, they're going to come back and say, based on what you've given me, there's a comfort or confidence or there's a scoring that says that you can have X amount of money, which you'll be able to repay on a monthly basis. Because they they take it all back. Like we live in a, a monthly economy world. That's right. And we've seen through the whole cycle of as, as money got cheaper, yes, house prices went up. It's not because the intrinsic value of the house was that, that much more. No, it's just because no, we had more competition. No, it wasn't. You know, for for you know, I, I can now you know, the same payment. I can I can buy this. I can pay you this for it instead. Willing to do it. So I'm not certain it's interest rate sensitive. What I'm going to say next is the other thing that I thought. Again, the instant gratification that we've gotten into is is just we use Amazon, we use you know Walmart delivery, we use all of this because we want it now, and it's. One of the things that I saw that my kids, and luckily I have fantastic, brilliant kids. They, they all get it from my wife. Thank goodness for your wife. <laughs> Thank goodness for my wife. And my daughter's friends were buying a house. They were saying, the daughter's friends were saying, we there's no affordable housing. There's no affordable housing. And I was looking around saying, well, actually there is. I, I've seen some pretty good buys out there. And what they were looking for were houses that they just moved out of. In other words, they wanted their, they grew up in a 2,400 square foot, two story built in 1989. Oh, yeah. And they graduated college and they wanted to live in that same house. And then, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> You've got to go to the two bedroom bungalow and build your way up. Uh, but that instant gratification was they wanted to move. And so when they said there was no affordable housing, really what it meant was they couldn't afford the housing that they want, that they thought they should have versus there being affordable housing. I think there's some of that uh, that had gone on for a while. And I don't know whether, and that's again, I, as an old fogey, I kind of put that towards that, you know, oh, these kids these days. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but I think that we're, we're seeing kind of a return, if you will. I know that the, the McMansions that were out there just before COVID hit, I saw in, in many markets where they weren't building those McMansions to the same extent. They're still building, them again, but not to the same extent because people were starting saying, ah, maybe we don't need that much house. That's true. And so I, I started seeing some of those uh, those types of properties. You know, they're you know a little bit smaller, but maybe a little higher quality. But they were they're going quality versus size. And then all of a sudden, after COVID hit, what I saw was those homes all of a sudden became very valuable. Why? Because people wanted that home office. Yes. <laughs> they all of a sudden they came back, and so it'll be interesting to see now as we're going. You know, we're a couple of years removed from that. You know, what what happens? Some of that real estate is as we move forward. That is definitely the case. It's uh, as we say, the, it will be interesting and we're going to live into the future. Yes. We're going to live what will soon be history. So that's phenomenal stuff. One interesting step that you took, uh, a lot of people either don't take the path or don't have the opportunity to, or are not even aware of it, which is you made a choice that proved to be a both prudent and profitable choice to align with someone else and then to successfully grow 
And then along the way, you had the benefit of an additional perspective, that capital partner you talked about. And you yes. got to some point, I think you said it was de- more than a decade later, where you were no longer, I assume, either in the firm or did you exit the firm? As opposed to, as I was joking with someone last week, I said, they're like, well, what's going on in your industry? I'm like, well, if you think about the average age of a person in the United States is in their late 30s, like just the average age of all people in the United States, the average age in the profession is like in their 60s. They're like, oh my gosh. I was like, so the next big thing happening in their life is either retirement, disability, or death. And you escaped all of those. Like you, you're still in the industry. I did have an exit strategy, if you will. we Built the firm, the Forsyths built the firm, the, the Turners, the, you know, we built the firm. We did sell it to yet another company that took it, you know, to another level. We sold that. I was with that other company, uh, First American. Wonderful, you know, absolutely loved working with them. So they still have the valuation company. But after a couple of years of that, I made the decision, you know, to, to retire. And when I say oh. retire, I, I retired from the corporate world. Oh, because appraisers don't retire. They just eventually become fully depreciated. And so what I do now is I wake up in the morning. I've been retired for going on 18 months now, actually. And I'll describe retired in just a second. But basically, I'm going to have a card made you know, that says, I do what I want if I want. And then there's an asterisk that says, and my wife says it's okay. I've seen that uh, but, on a T-shirt. I mean, yeah. that, you you got that. I That <laughs> exists. It, 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 and that's what I do. So I, I love teaching. I still teach. I volunteer for the Red Cross. You know, I drive blood all over the Midwest, you know, delivering blood product to the hospitals and such as, as a volunteer. I That's enjoy amazing. doing that. That's I great. go to my grandkids' uh, stuff and my kids' stuff. And so there is life after appraisal and retirement. But like I said, I still am very involved. I, I still do my teaching. I still get calls every once in a while. I don't even want to call myself a consultant because someone will call me and, and I just say, let's talk about it. If I can help solve it in 30 minutes or give direction in 30 minutes, I'm not going to do any heavy lifting. But, but if I can help you understand what you need to do next, I'm done. And, a lot and, of people out there share that perspective there. A lot of people share that. <laughs> and thankfully, they are willing to share it, which is still valuable, even though they may not be as active anymore. Right. So what was it like making that transition to running the firm, to working for someone else, and then coming to that decision like, maybe I'm not having fun anymore, or maybe yeah. the grandkids are calling? Like, what, what, Share a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and that's really what the transition was because I, I I've got to admit I've always enjoyed what I've done in all the different states of it. And believe me, as a business owner, there are years when I had some paychecks still sitting in my desk drawer. You know, they 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 were written, but they never cashed. No, I think <laughs> we're heading so, in another one of those times right now. I mean, it's, yeah, we've and, seen and a lot so, of those layoffs. I think I, a lot I, more are coming in twenty twenty three. Exactly, and so I've I've lived through those times and being part of a larger organization. So I've been a self, you know, my business owner, 100%. I was part of Forsyth Appraisals as a, a partner, if you will. And, you know, so I shared the responsibilities. And then we sold to a publicly traded company. And being part of a publicly traded company is a whole different what business proposition. And again, love the company. It's not that I wasn't enjoying it anymore. It's just that you get to a point when you say, you know, there's a lot of people here that are doing everything very well. I didn't feel my contributions were as necessary, <laughs> if you will. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of good people that were doing everything that needed to be done. Yeah, and so it's not that. that they didn't want me or I didn't want them. It was an opportunity to say, okay, could I just step back and do a little bit more playing with the grandkids, waking up in the morning and not being quote in that, in, in, you know, have to do that. Uh, so it wasn't a, uh, you know, it's just a, a decision that everybody I think comes 
at some point in their life. And I, 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 it surprised me. It wasn't, when I say it wasn't planned, it wasn't planned like, okay, in five, this is my five-year plan to retire. Oh, I see. It was during a time when, quite frankly, I, I traveled immensely during most of my career. And during the COVID shutdown, I was doing no traveling. And that's when I found out that I could actually stay home, enjoy it. <laughs> so I was at home every day enjoying it. And the biggest thing, once I told my wife I was retiring, was she asked, I, I said, okay, I'm going to retire. And she's, I said, are, are you ready to retire also? She's uh, in the school system. Oh, okay. And I, and I said, we're, I, I just want to let you know that we can retire. If you want to retire, we can retire. And she looks at me, she says, you know, she says, I've really enjoyed having you home over this last you know, 18 months. Did you go get a she job? Says, what, she, what she said was, but I'm not ready to be with you 24-7. She says, I need to get out of the house. <laughs> if you're you're not home, alone. You're not alone. <laughs> she says, so, so she decided just, you know, I think she's going to, she might be entering retirement. We'll find out. But it, it's one of those things where I don't think it's an age. I don't think you can say, you know, I'm going to hit this age and retire. I, it's, it's a mindset. And I purposely did not take any phone calls for the first four months after I made my announcement I was retiring. I, I, I did take any phone calls. I didn't make any commitments. People would call me and say, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And I said, nope, for four months, I'm going to just not and just see if I like this. And Michael, I like it. That's <laughs> I, fantastic. I highly, I highly recommend it. <laughs> that is great. That is great. I think millennials have gotten on that track. They're just starting like in their 20s. They're like, I'm just going to take some time and just kind of like it. Yeah, exactly. might have to go back to work a little bit later. Keep a little bit later <laughs> I might get a little, what do they call it in college? Gap year. I don't know what that's yeah, all about. That, that, I've heard about right. it. I've heard this phenomenon <laughs> called a gap year. That is crazy. I, this is, I love this. We could definitely go on for more time, but maybe as we just kind of bring at least this segment of our conversation to a close, as you look out ahead, and obviously you're still you know active and, and engaged and, and contributing to the industry. What, what have you either thought about or what have you maybe even seen, even if it's just a little seed that might be sprouting as a way that we can create more opportunity to transfer the knowledge that is headed towards retirement and ultimately exiting the profession by choice or by force. Anything you've seen that might be worthwhile investigating? As, and I appreciate a lot of the new efforts that are going on. There's a thing called Perea and there's you know initiatives by big banks, but that's not necessarily the same as like that experience you had when you started out. Yeah, and it's not, but I tell you what is the same is, you know, going back to when we were talking earlier about, I had, you know, two great mentors, my father and then, you know, Bud Potts. It is so important. I mean, real estate appraisal, it, you can't learn it by the book. You can take all the classes, but experience is real. Yeah, I mean, true. the touch, the smell, and I don't mean having to, you know, to walk through the property to understand the property as much as experience the full, everything that's involved in the analysis, having someone help you walk through those. You talk about Perea, which is the appraisal foundation's uh, opportunity to have a different type of supervisory relationship with a mentor versus your traditional supervisor. I know that there are a lot of initiatives out there, as you indicated, that the Appraisal Institute, the banks, uh, some other organizations that are putting together Perea Correct, they, they need mentors. And it's not heavy lifting. It, it really isn't. It, it's different programs where it might be some Zoom calls with somebody that is starting to get into profession that just needs that guidance. You know, what I don't understand. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to do paired sales. Well, I saw a paired sale once. It was in a textbook. So let's talk about real life and how you're going to figure out what that pool's worth or, or solar system or whatever. I think that real life experience that those of us that they're in the retirement age have been through, just being able to impart that. And it, it's not a heavy lift. It, it's, you know, 
a couple of hours a week, maybe, or a couple hours a month, whatever you want to put into it, having a Zoom call with somebody, doing doing that type of thing, I think is going to be important because automation technology is absolutely going to help appraisers. But I'm telling you, Michael, I'm still a big believer of the human element of being able to step back and say, does this make sense? And that's, that's the human element part of it that I think we need to make certain that isn't lost as, as we make this transfer. I couldn't agree with you more so. It's data is only data. Someone still needs to interpret it. That's right. And then and pull it together. So that is absolutely fantastic. Well, Alan, thank you again for this. Just, man, this has just been a lively conversation. I only wish we were closer together. We could uh, go to lunch at least or have, I'd love have it. quench our thirst, as they would say. But uh, in the meantime, until that next possibility in person to get together, I want to say thank you for that. And uh, more importantly, for everyone listening, thank you for listening. And uh, of course, we continue to reach out to those peers who have been around the industry for not just a few years, but decades, a few, if not many, because for that very reason of those that have the most experience are the ones who are in volume departing over some point in the future. And we want to have an opportunity just to shed light on new possibilities, new opportunities, new thinking about the very work you may be doing that creates a new future for you. Because this is a very valued skill set and has a very important contribution to not only real estate, but all forms of assets that get assessed or analyzed, as Alan touched on earlier. So again, thank you so much, Alan. And until our next podcast, our perusings, the power of values, have a great day and happy holidays. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Perusings, Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening. And until we're together again for the next session of Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. Create the change that you seek. 